Our Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this day because it's Sunday. And on Sunday, we get to gather with so many like-minded people who love Jesus Christ. And we get to fellowship together, enjoy one another's company together, and worship and sing praise together. Oh, but far more. And we get to draw our attention and our hearts to you. And we get to remind ourselves and be reminded by you and reminded by your word that you're preeminent. And you not only are preeminent, but you're so good and so gracious, so kind. And you give us so much. And as we worship you this morning and as we're drawn to your word and as we're drawn to this particular passage, might our might our hearts sing praise and might they overflow with gratitude at your provision and care for us. And so would you guide us? Give me wisdom with this word. Give me accuracy, clarity. And would you bring transformation, hope, and encouragement to us as we look at this word. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. In April of 2001, I received this email. Greetings from California. This is Keith Palmer, Carla and Rich Boyd's son-in-law. I heard through my in-laws that there may be an internship position opening up in your church this summer and thought I would write to you to get some more information. Lisa and I have been praying a lot about what we'd be doing this summer. We have a few possibilities, but we would both like to immerse ourselves in ministry this summer. I'm not sure what you're looking for in an intern, but I'm interested in working in a church and would like to talk to you more about it sometime. We're excited to see what the Lord does in the next few months. Lisa and I look forward to coming out to visit this June in Christ. Keith Palmer. Yes, I saved that email. (laughs) I save everything. Little did I know how the Lord would use that first email and contact from Keith Palmer in my own life as well as in the life of our church body. Keith did come to do an internship with us that summer, summer of 2001. And at the time, we were looking for an associate pastor. And when he came, I can't remember if it was before or when he got here, I said, um, look, uh, we, we are so excited to have you here for an internship and we're looking forward to summer. We've got some things lined up for you that I trust will be helpful for you. But we need to hire a, an associate pastor and we need, we need somebody now. And I know you're not graduating till next summer. So, you know, we love you and everything, but we need somebody now. And uh, he said, great, understood, not a problem. We're just looking forward to a great summer of ministry and seeing what the Lord will do. Okay, and halfway through the summer, things changed. And we realized that we had something in our minds about a job description, what we wanted our associate pastor to be, and we were looking for a particular thing. And honestly, that really wasn't a full alignment with where Keith's gifts were. But we knew we had the guy. 
We saw his character and we saw his life. And we said, this is the man. And we need to wait. And we need to figure out what he can do and just scrap our ideas of what a job description for him needs to look like and make him fit into the ministry here. And here we are 20 years later with so many unexpected blessings that have come to us through Keith's ministry among us and to us. None of us could have envisioned 20 years ago what the Lord would see fit to do in our lives through Keith. And isn't that just the way the Lord always works? Taking us beyond what we could ever imagine or think or hope. And during the fellowship meal, we're going to look at some particular expressions of thankfulness to Keith for his ministry. During this hour, I want to look past Keith, if you will, at the one who has saved him, equipped him, and used him in our lives. We look at God and his provision for the church. Turn with me to First, First Timothy chapter 4. I want to look with you at verses 11 to 16, and we'll read this passage in just a moment. And when I read that, you might be tempted to think, well, Terry, that sounds great. I mean, it's in the Word of God, but this isn't about God. This is about the pastor's responsibility. This is, this is what pastors need to do. And there is truth to that. The, the verses do actually contain ten imperatives. This is the Apostle Paul writing his protege Timothy as the young pastor of the Ephesian church, telling him how he ought to conduct himself in that church. And so there is that sense to it. But as we look behind the imperatives, we also see the provision of God in three particular ways. These are commands for Timothy's responsibility But we understand that when God gives a command to a man or an individual, He also gives ability to fulfill that command. It's not as if the man is operating on his own, as if he can do this on his own. We understand that God is the power and the source of our obedience to Him. And so when He commands us to obey, He also empowers us to obey. I think it was Augustine that said something like, command what you will and then empower me to do what you command. He understood that this comes entirely from the Lord. In another letter, a second way that we understand that God is behind this, in another letter to the same church, the Ephesian church, Paul says that the pastor is not just a role that someone fills in the church, but pastors and elders are actually God's gift to the church. Notice what he says, Ephesians 4.11. Listen as I read 4.11 of Ephesians. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now we understand that he's talking about the gift of apostleship and prophecy and evangelism and pastor-teacher. But his point in that passage is he has given particular people to the church to fill those roles. And so when you find someone in that role, you can say, gift of God. God's provision for that church. A third way that we see God as behind this provision 
is that we understand that Timothy in particular had been given to the Ephesian church as a particular gift to that church. So right at the beginning of this letter, 1 Timothy, he says in verse 2, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And then he goes on from there. So Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus as the elder over that church as a particular gift from God for that church. So our pastors and our elders are a gift from God to us. And in our context, we can say, not just our elders, but our deacons and our home group leaders and all those teach, all those who teach and disciple and equip us are gifts of God to us so that we might thrive spiritually. As we make our way through this passage, starting in verse 11 of 1 Timothy 4, Uh, We can use this passage in two ways. Those of us who serve in capacities of leadership can be reminded of our responsibilities for leadership. So this is a good, this is a good check. Is this what I'm doing? Is this my commitment? Is this where, is this what I'm pursuing as I shepherd the flock of God? And secondly, all of us can use it as a means of gratitude for God, to God for His gracious provision of individuals and leaders to care for our souls. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has given so lavishly to this church body. He has graced us with so many who care well for us, who disciple and build up and equip us. The Lord has not left us alone in our spiritual journey. And we give thanks this morning for His gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 4, follow along as I read. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Ten commands in these verses. And I want to take these commands and turn them into a source of gratitude. Give thanks for the faithful shepherds that God has placed in our church. Give thanks for the faithful shepherds that God has placed in our church. And I want to think with you this morning particularly about gratitude in five particular ways, five objects of thanksgiving for faithful shepherds, five objects of thanksgiving for faithful shepherds. The first is given to us in verses 11 and 13. Give thanks for the instruction of faithful shepherds. Give thanks for the instruction, the teaching of faithful shepherds. Verse 11, he says, prescribe and teach these things. He will say something similar in verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So when he says public reading of Scripture, certainly he's talking about reading Scripture. 
But beyond that, he's, he's talking about the explanation or the exposition of the reading of that scripture. And that's why he includes that phrase at the end to exhortation and to teaching. As he says in verse 11, prescribe and teach, he, he means by prescription to teach with authority. So it's not just unfolding, but you're, you're, you're applying principles to people's lives and preaching authoritatively, compellingly, with exhortation. It's not just informing the mind. It's teaching in such a way that we are transforming hearts and lives and conduct. In fact, if you look at this, it says prescribe and teach these things. Both of those are present tense verbs, which means there's an ongoing component. This is, this is what the pastor, this is what the elder ought to always be doing. He is repeatedly and habitually prescribing. He is repeatedly, habitually teaching, unfolding the word of God and saying, this is the relationship between this word and your life and this is how you can conduct yourself. This command of exhortation is all too uncommon. As John MacArthur has written, preaching in our day is often intriguing, but seldom commanding. Often entertaining, but seldom convicting. Often popular, but seldom powerful. Often interesting, but less often transforming. Paul does not ask Timothy to share or make suggestions to his congregation. Rather, he is to prescribe the truth to them. So the emphasis in verse 11 is on the teaching of the teacher. Is he teaching authoritatively? In verse 13, the emphasis is not just on his teaching, but on his preparation. Is he ready? When it says in verse 13, give attention, it doesn't just mean read and teach the Bible and worship, but it includes the idea of preparation. Get ready in private before you teach in public. And so it's this component of, of studying and examining and understanding and disciplining yourself. It's the hard work of study. Now, honestly, Keith and I have the best job in the world. I remember a pastor telling me when I was in seminary, like, it's hard to say this, four decades ago. He said, I have the best job in the world. I get to study the Bible every day and they pay me to do it. Amen, brother. But it's also... Well, a joyous task. It's hard work. MacArthur has said, I've heard him say this on numerous occasions at the Shepherds Conference, the hard work of the preacher is keeping himself in the chair until the sermon is done. And when Paul says to Timothy, give attention, he means prepare yourself. Stay there until it's done. Be diligent. And it's not just the preparation of understanding what a particular text means in a particular passage, but it's the preparation of his own heart. Ezra says this of himself, Ezra 7.10, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. There's, There's a progression. He studies it, he practices it, and then he teaches it. That's the preparation of the preacher. He doesn't get up to teach. He doesn't counsel. He doesn't disciple. 
until it's grabbed a hold of his own heart. And so when Paul says to Timothy, give attention to it, all that is encompassed in this. Make sure you understand what it means and make sure it has grabbed your own heart. Notice there's also a a sense of accountability to this, right? Verse 13, until I come, give attention. So I've left you in Ephesus, he tells Timothy, but um, don't just think you're on easy street now and you can get to do what you want. I'm coming back. And he doesn't say it. I'm, I'm, I admittedly am reading into the white lines, but I think there's an understood accountability here, isn't there? I'm going to come back, Timothy. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to see, have you been faithful to do what you've been called to do? Oh, brothers and sisters, we should give thanks this morning for faithful spiritual shepherds that the Lord has given to us who are committed to this task. They teach with God's authority and they live what they teach. No facades, no pretense, but the reality of transformed lives. I want you to notice as well what he says in verse 11. He says, prescribe and teach these things. There's a lot of question about what does he mean by these things? Does he mean these things that he's going to tell you in just a moment? Or does he mean these things that he's already told you? And I think he's actually pointing backwards to the things he's already talked about. Um, Starting in verse 4, really, of this chapter, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. That's the kind of thing you need to teach. Everything is given to us by God. It's good when it is sanctified by his word and prayer. Verse 6, in pointing these things out to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Verse 8, Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's, He's pointing us in both of those verses to the power of the Word of God and the ability of the Word of God to discipline, to train, to equip, to disciple, to prepare people. This is, this is what we do in the body of Christ. Verse 10, For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. We we have fixed our hope on God. Where else else will we go? It's only in Him that we have word and truth, hope, guidance, direction, surety. Only He gives us the rock. And every teacher has a responsibility and privilege to teach the unerring Word of God. It is alone authoritative and powerful to transform lives. Listen, the teacher is responsible to teach one thing. This book. Our task, anytime we preach, anytime we teach, anytime we disciple, anytime we counsel... Any time we're with the littlest of the littles, the cubbies in Awana or in the nursery, we only have one tool to help them, and it's the Word of God. Our task is simple. It's hard, but it's simple. 
unfold the Word of God. That's the job. And behind this is this understanding that God has given us what we need. Life outside these walls is hard. There are burdens, there are weights, there are struggles, there are difficulties, there is unfairness, there is unrighteousness, there is ungodliness, there are attacks, attacks, there are persecutions, and God has given us what we need to stand. And so we thank Him because He's given us something to teach. He's not told the preacher and he's not told the home group leader and he's not told the disciple or, hey, come up with what you can and hope you do okay. He's given us the revelation of himself to unfold to others. And thanks be to God, he has given us such a word that is able to change us. And he's given us faithful servants who faithfully instruct from this word to take us to the one whom we need. There's a second reason for thanksgiving in this passage. Verse 12, give thanks for the example of faithful shepherds. Give thanks for the example of faithful shepherds. When Timothy was installed as pastor at Ephesus, he evidently was a young man. We know that he was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. He started traveling with the Apostle Paul Uh, At an early age, we don't know exactly how old he was. We think that when he got to Ephesus and was installed as pastor there, he probably was somewhere in his early 30s. We don't know that exactly, but it seems reasonable. He calls him here a youthful man. It's understood from that particular culture that anyone under the age of 40 was a youthful man. Anyone over 40 was in his middle age and heading north. And so when Timothy got there, he was a young man. Paul inserts this clause in verse 12 because Timothy didn't have a long record to establish credibility. His teaching, his ministry, his faithfulness had not been tested yet. Keith, when you got here 20 years ago, this was you. I'm sorry to say, brother, it's no longer you. (laughs) You're north of 40. You've been tested. You may be middle-aged, but you're seasoned and you're mature. And we see this verse worked out in your life. Timothy had something he could do in the absence of gray hair and experience. He could prove to be an example. He could be someone that was worth emulating. Paul says... To the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, um, Be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ Jesus. And God has given us faithful men that we can follow because they lead us to Christ. And Paul's admonition here to Timothy is essentially of the same order. Timothy, you may not have the credibility yet. You may not have the gray hair. You may not have the seasoning yet, but... You can conduct yourself in such a way that people will say he's young, but I can follow him because he's going to take me to Jesus. And he points to five particular things. I do not think that this is an exhaustive list. I think this is just a a number of key areas that the apostle points to. 
What are some areas in which you, we can demonstrate to one another that we're faithful and living with integrity? He points to five areas. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech. When he uses that word speech, he's not just talking about when he teaches, though certainly it should include his teaching But he's really talking about his daily conversation. Are his words graciously true? Are his words graciously kind? Do they give grace according to the need of the moment? His speech ought to be worth emulating. Secondly, his conduct. What is he like in his daily affairs? How does he treat people when he has been sinned against? What is he like when he is alone? Is he, to use Paul's term in chapter 3 verse 2 about the elder, is he above reproach? In everything that he does. Thirdly, he points to his love. Does he love God? Does he love God's people? First Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. He says, the goal of our instruction is love. This is why we teach. This is why we unfold the word of God. To, to, to train people to love. Now what's interesting in one five is there's no object. The goal of our instruction is love. And you, you ask the question, for whom? And I think he leaves it intentionally vague because there's only two objects of love for the believer, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And I think he means us to understand both. You love Christ and you love his people. Does he love God? Does he love God's people? Um, I, I love reading biographies. One of the saddest biographies I ever read was the biography of a man I, I love whose, whose books I have many of on my shelf. A.W. Tozer. And many of you know the name A.W. Tozer. He was a preacher in the 50s and 60s uh, in Toronto and then in Chicago. After he died, his widow remarried. And someone asked his widow about what life was like with her new husband. How are things going? And the implication was in comparison to A.W. or Aiden, which was his name. And she responded this way and she said... Aiden loved Christ. My new husband loves me. What a sad commentary. That a man is so enraptured with Christ that he doesn't care for his wife. And there were multiple examples in the book of how he didn't care for her. Oh, brothers and sisters, there should never be such a dichotomy. To love God is to love God's people and to live sacrificially for them Serving no matter the cost because we love Christ. So what's his conduct like or what's his love like? Fourthly, what's his faith like? When he uses the term faith, he's not just referring to his trust of Christ for salvation, but he's talking about his faithfulness, about his unwavering commitment to Christ. He doesn't deviate away from Christ. He's trustworthy. You look at him and say, he's keeping the faith. He's living the faith. And then lastly, his purity. He has a life of integrity in all things. He will do what is right. Now, these things are commanded, right? Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but show yourself an example. But we also understand that there's an empowerment for that that comes not from ourselves, but the empowerment comes from Christ. And we're going to fold that in just a moment. But we really can please Him. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home in heaven or absent here on earth, 
to be pleasing to him. Second Corinthians five, nine. Our goal is always to please him. And the implication is we always can please him. We can please him in heaven. We will please him in heaven when we're perfected. But we don't have to wait till then. We can please him even now. That's this man. And aren't you, aren't you grateful that God has given you some examples in your life for someone to follow who is living faithfully? In God's grace, God has given us many such examples. And we are thankful for those. Thirdly, give thanks for the spiritual gifts of faithful shepherds. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. The, the sense of that sentence is, you have a spiritual gift, Timothy. Use it for the care and the strengthening of the body. But there's also an implied warning in that, isn't there? In other words, the, the, the implied warning is there's going to be a temptation to forget the spiritual gift. There's going to be a temptation to forget you've been divinely enabled. You've been given something from God. And there's going to be a temptation to try and do things in your own power and your own wisdom, which will always result in only what man can do and not in what God can do. And I'll just say churches are filled with that. Then and today as well. And there's always a temptation to abandon God's plan. Always a temptation to abandon God's provision for living life and building the church. And we will always neglect this gift to our own detriment and to the detriment of the church. In saying this, Paul also reminds Timothy of the source of the spiritual gift. It is just that. It's a gift of the Spirit and from the Spirit, right? Do not neglect the spiritual gift. If it's a gift, you didn't do it. You didn't gain it on your own. It was something that was graced to you. It was given to you. And he emphasizes that even when he says it is within you. In other words, it has been put in you. You didn't get it there yourself. And he emphasizes the fact that this is a gift and it is not his own empowerment. It is not his own abilities, but it was granted to you, it was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance. That is, in the early church, there was a prophetic revelation about the gifting of Timothy, and that's how he received the gift. And it's a reminder again, this came to you from God. This isn't you, Timothy. This is the Spirit of God who's doing something remarkable and unique within you. It's from God. In fact, this is, this is where all spiritual gifts come from, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us that, verse 7, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts we get, they come from the Spirit. They're not, they're not our attainment. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Whatever gift you have, it comes from Him and according to His will and according to His purpose. This gift also came not just by prophetic utterance. It also came with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. That was a symbolic act. So they, I assume, gathered Timothy in a public setting the elders, that's the presbytery, the elders got together, they laid hands on him and symbolically marked him out for ministry and saying, you've been gifted in this particular way 
And we're entrusting you and this ministry to the Lord. It's a reminder to Timothy, he doesn't have a right to act on his own. And he needs to act in concert with the recognition of the church, of God's direction on his life and his, and his ministry. That's a reminder to Timothy that he does not originate his own spiritual gift. He's simply a steward of it. And he needs to employ it as a faithful steward, living as if it really is a treasured gift. And brothers and sisters, this is a reminder to us of the grace of God to give us as a church the exact giftedness we need to care for one another. God has given us, Ephesians 4, right? God has given us not only the gifts, but He's given us the people we need. Every church has exactly the right combination of giftedness and people to accomplish everything that God has set out for that church to do. It's not about us. It's about how God has graced us with gifted people and with gifts to accomplish His purposes. Oh, give thanks for the spiritual gifts of faithful shepherds. Fourthly, give thanks for the faithfulness of faithful shepherds. When I use the word faithfulness there, I'm talking about the godly character. There are a series of commands in these last two verses that relate to an elder's private life. Verse 15, take pains. There's an implied verb, middle of verse 15, be absorbed in them. Verse 16, pay close attention to these things. Persevere in them. And the implication is is that his hard work should, should be on his teaching, but not just on his teaching. He should just take just as many pains. He should work just as hard on his personal life and on his character. In fact, the the word absorbed, middle of verse 15, actually isn't in in the Greek text. Literally, it just says, be in them. Get into it, Timothy. Dive in. You should be consumed with his personal life as well as his ministry. so that your progress will be evident to all. He should not only be an effective teacher and preacher, but he also should, should be an effective disciple of Jesus Christ so that his progress is evident to all. That is, he lives with such openness that people see he's being changed. He's being transformed. He's not the same. He's still flawed. He still has the flesh. He still struggles. He still has battles. But we see him fighting and we see him progressing and maturing in the faith. He's growing in grace. But notice it's not his evaluation. It's the evaluation of the church. Notice it's evident to all. The church looks at his life and says, we've seen progress, we've seen growth, we've seen maturity. And the result of these things, verse 16 is that he ensures salvation both for himself and for those who hear him. That doesn't mean he's working for his own salvation, but it does mean that salvation is working in him to such a degree that it is obvious he has been saved by Christ because that's the only way that he could do these kinds of things. There are false professors and false teachers 
And this one is not one of those. And he's not only growing in his own salvation, he's not only maturing in his own salvation, but he's also helping the salvation of others. He's helping them in such a way that leads to their salvation. He faithfully preaches and faithfully lives the gospel of Christ and shows others how to do the same. It says one pastor, there is no better proof that a ministry is authentic than its ability to persevere. And brothers and sisters, when we have faithful shepherds, when we have people who have built into our lives and have discipled and trained and equipped us, give thanks to God. Because God has saved that person. And God has sanctified that person. And it is evidence of God's fruit in that shepherd and through that shepherd. And just a side note, we don't have time to chase it down. But the church... And God's people have always been filled with faithless shepherds. And God will judge those guys. But they've led so many astray. And it, honestly, I just, I just weep almost weekly over guys who are not being faithful to the task and leading people astray. And they come in, these people come into our counseling offices and we see the fruit of faithless shepherds. And it's tragic. Oh, brothers and sisters, give thanks for faithful shepherds whom God has graced us with to lead us. And that leads us to one final source of gratitude. Give thanks for God's particular gift to Grace Bible Church. There is so much reason for gratitude this morning as we think about how God has provided for our church. We have faithful home group leaders. We have faithful counselors. We have faithful disciplers. We have a a group of, a team of people who are already being trained and equipped to disciple even more effectively. And you're going to be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. We have faithful Sunday school and children's church teachers and leaders. We have faithful deacons and servants in a variety of areas of ministry. And we have faithful elders. And we have a faithful associate pastor. Perhaps as I've been preaching this morning and because we're recognizing Keith today, perhaps you were thinking about how he measures up to the commands in these verses. I couldn't help but think about that this week as I was studying. He's a faithful teacher. We hear it from him every Sunday morning in his Sunday school class. We see it every time he teaches at our biblical uh, discipleship and counseling conference. And we see it in the counseling room when he has helped us and others. I too have been a recipient of his counsel. I've gone to him and pulled up a chair at his desk and said, I need some counsel, brother. And he's led me well. He's a faithful example. I am unafraid to say, look at Keith, look at Keith and model your life after him. You will not be led astray from Christ if you follow his pattern. He's following Christ well. He faithfully uses his spiritual gifts. And we've seen those gifts flourish and mature as well. And he is faithful to Christ. He's not the same as he was 20 years ago. I don't think there's any gray hair yet. I haven't seen any. But he's not the same. 
He's more like Jesus today than he was then. Give thanks to God for all the gifts of grace that he has provided to lead us. And this day, let us give thanks for the particular gift of grace that Keith Palmer is to us. In August of 2002, we conducted a worship service in which we installed Keith Palmer as our associate pastor. As part of that service, I gave a charge to Keith as a pastor, and then he responded to that with a personal affirmation and commitment. A few days ago, I found my manuscript for my charge. I'd actually lost it. I don't know where it is. The folder is gone, but I found it in an email attachment. See, there's a reason why I keep 40,000 emails, and it was still there. And in God's providence... When I was exhorting him to be a faithful shepherd, I used an illustration of another faithful shepherd who had become particularly dear to Pastor Keith. Do you remember? It's John Newton. The quotation I gave was not from Newton's pen, but it was from William Cooper. Keith and I have been talking a lot about William Cooper lately, trying to figure him out. Um, Cooper was a disciple of Newton, troubled disciple Uh, who received much counsel from Newton. And Newton and his pastoral counsel and care is the subject of Keith's dissertation, and he particularly is examining in chapter 5 the relationship between Cooper and Newton. And what Cooper wrote about Newton served as a good exhortation to Keith and every other pastor 20 years ago. And it serves as an appropriate affirmation of Keith as well this morning. An expression of gratitude to God as we have been recipients of his ministry for 20 years. This is what Cooper wrote about Newton. I knew you. Knew you for the same shepherd who was sent to lead me out of the wilderness into the pasture where the chief chief shepherd feeds his flock. And I felt my sentiments of affectionate friendship for you, the same as ever. The earthly shepherd, following the direction of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, knows his sheep, is his friend and fellowship to the sheep, and through prayer and the word of God, leads the sheep to the guardian of their souls, the place where they will find the only rest for their souls. My admonition to Keith 20 years ago was this, and I quote, Be a shepherd, Keith. Or rather, continue to be a shepherd and grow in God's grace so that you'll become the best godly shepherd that God has created you to be. Thanks be to God. He has provided such a shepherd to guide us and lead us these 20 years. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this man of God that you've graced us to know and have and be integrally involved in our lives. We see Christ in Him. And as we see Christ in Him, we understand it's not about Him, but it's about Christ. It's about the Word of Christ. It's about the Spirit of Christ. Thank You for what You have done in this man and through this man. Flawed, weak at times 
a broken vessel, but a vessel committed to you. And you have used them in such profound ways in our lives. You have been graced to give him, or you have graced him with gifts, and you have graced us with the gift of him. And both he and we thank you for your kindness to us through his life and ministry. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.